God is great. God more better than any adjective we can descriptive noun we can come up with, right? Well, uh, hey, we've been in this sermon series on discipleship called Forward in Faith all this year, and we've spent months teaching on what it means to be a disciple. Rather than just a believer, what does it mean to be a disciple, a, a disciple, a follower of Christ? And we've seen that the goal of discipleship is that we come to know the Lord better in order that we might become more like him, and then we disciple others so that they can know the Lord better and become more like him. And they would disciple others who would know the Lord and become like him. And it keeps getting passed down. That's how, that's how it grows. And two weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Discipleship Begins at Home. And I, I talked about the need to disciple each other, husbands and wives, disciple children at home. We need to disciple our homes before we can disciple the nations. And we saw how God gave parents the responsibility to disciple their children. One of those passages, Proverbs 22, 6, says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Training a child means to disciple a child. So I'm preaching today a message entitled, Discipling Your Family for Success. Now, if your children are grown, don't think you're, you're off the hook today. <laughs> because the things I'm going to talk about today apply to each of us. These things that I'm going to talk about that we need to instill in our children need to be instilled in us first. And in fact, if they aren't instilled in us first, they will not be instilled in our children. And if our children are grown, we're still involved in, in spiritually parenting and discipling other people uh, who are even grown people. And we need to have these values in our life so that we can help them walk out those values. So wherever we are in life, these, things, these truths will apply to us. So it applies to you. Can you say it applies to me? So just remember that. Now, when it comes to children, we all want our children to succeed in life. Nobody wants their children to fail. We want them to succeed at school and at work and in their marriages and in their families. But, but listen, we as parents, we must first teach our children the right definition of success. Because the world will define it for you. And it's not necessarily God's definition. Here's how the dictionary defines success. Success is attaining a desired outcome, to reach a goal, to attain wealth or power. That's how the world sees it. The, the world always sees success in, in terms of wealth, fame, power. Nothing wrong with wealth or fame or power. But you can be wealthy, famous, and powerful and still not be successful in the eyes of God. You can be a success in the eyes of the world and not be a success in the eyes of God. Success is so much more than that. Here's what I believe. Here's Pastor Joe's definition of success. Success is becoming who God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter what else you accomplish in life. If you miss the will of God, the plan of God for your life, you are not a success in the eyes of God. By the way, parents... I think we make a big mistake when we tell our children they can be anything they want to be. No, they cannot. No, they cannot. God creates each of us with skills, with desires, with aptitudes and abilities. We're all different. God created us that way. That's why we train, remember, remember training up a child in the way he would go, according to the way God created him, his, his or her desires and abilities and, and, and aptitudes. We've got to raise them that way because a, a child can't be anything they want to be. They can be anything God wants them to be. 
That is a big thing what we need to, to teach our children. So how do we disciple, teach, train our children in the ways of God and other people in the ways of God? How do we walk in them ourselves? Well, first, we've got to disciple children and other people by grounding them in the faith. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul told Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. I love that. I, love, I, I come from generations of pastors. and I, I mean, My dad's a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My uncle was a pastor. I, I, I knew my great-grandparents. They were believers. And, and, and so I come from this long line of, of, of believers. I love that. I love the faith getting passed down in, in family. And Timothy was a man of, of sincere faith, of real faith, because he saw real faith in his grandmother and his mother. Notice that. Sincere faith. That's faith that is really real. It's not just a Sunday morning faith. If your children are seeing you in here one way on Sunday morning and all the rest of the time of the week they aren't seeing anything of God in you, that's not a sincere faith. We have a responsibility, parents, to, to live a life of sincere faith before our children. Even when they're grown, even when they're adults and have children of our, their own, we still have the, 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 the desire and the will and the plan from God to live a sincere faith before them. How do you do that? Well, it's by, first of all by your example. Our families learn to follow Christ by following us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If your children follow your example, if other people are following your example, would they end up with Christ? Parents, whether you like it or not, everything you say and do is being observed. Everything. You're an example in all your actions and inactions in all your attitudes, in your values, in the things you do and the things you don't do. This became painfully obvious to me when my children were younger. When I was young, I don't really have this problem anymore. But when I was young, I would turn into another person when I got behind the wheel of a car. I don't know if it happens to any of y'all. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I would go all NASCAR on them, like nobody's passing me, nobody's cutting in. If somebody's trying to cut in, I'm going to speed up and not let them in. Why would I not let that person in who's trying to move over? You know, but I would be like, no, you're not cutting in here. You know, you're not getting in here. No, you're not passing me. And I used to yell at people when they drove badly. And I really wasn't aware of it until my young children started yelling at people in the car. And I said, y'all stop that. Where did you learn that? And they said, from you? It's one of the most sobering moments in life is when you find out your children are becoming just like you. That, that, they are. They are watching. They are observing. They are paying attention. They learn by watching you. Your children learn how to love God by watching you. Your children learn how to love other people by watching you. Your children learn how to be spouses and parents by, by watching you. What are your children learning by watching you? 
We must intentionally disciple them by using everything that happens in our life as an opportunity to teach them about God and his ways. Teach them to pray by praying as a family. Teach them the word by studying it as a family. Teach them to rejoice in all things. We say that in Sunday on Sunday and we sing the song, but do you do that at home? Y'all are quiet on me this morning. Do we do that at home? When, when things are going tough at home and, and bills are, 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 are stacking up and things are rough and, and, and inflation is bad and all this stuff, do your children see you rejoicing in God in all things? Are you rejoicing? What are you teaching and training them about how to get through a tough time? We've got to teach them and train them to have skills to be successful in life, to live it as God wants us to live it. So we teach by our example. Secondly, we train our children for success by teaching them the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul told Timothy, same guy that he told, wow, I see your faith. It came from your, your parents, your grandparents. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you, you know those who, from whom you have learned it and how from infancy, from infancy, from you were, the time you were a baby, a small child, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing the scriptures from infancy, infancy. That has such an impact on our child's life, on their salvation, on their success. What could be more important than you teaching your children the Word of God? It's your responsibility. We have a role in it, but as I've said many times, the average church member these days goes to church 1.8 times a month. We can round it off to two times a month. So if that's what we got your kids two times a month for 45 minutes or an hour, that's all we got them. You got them the rest of the time. And you've got to overcome the influence of school and media and all these other things. And you do that by teaching them, training them by your example, and training them with the Word of God. Now today I'm going to talk about some behaviors from the Bible that parents need to instill in their children. I want to remind you, they first need to be instilled in us. We've got to be walking out these truths. And there's so many more things that I could talk about that I'm going to cover today. And I know you're going to think, well, Pastor Joe, you should have covered this or covered that. Believe me, i got a list this long of things I could have covered today. But you should be grateful that I pared that list down to six, <laughs> six or seven things. This could be a whole series. Listen, your children will not just automatically learn these things. You must train them. You must teach them. You must disciple them. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. The Greek word for Put away there, katergeo, it's a very strong word. It means to, to make entirely useless, to inactive, inoperative, to abolish, destroy, do away with, make of no effect, to stop, to put an end to, to bring to nothing, to unemploy. Fire them. You got to fire some childish ways of thinking, some childish ways of living, some childish ways of talking. We're not going to be able to teach and train our children if we're still walking, living, talking, childish things. 
And, the, and putting those things away requires effortly, effort. You won't just automatically grow out of it. In fact, the meaning here is that you've actually got to do something about it. It won't go away on its own. You can't outgrow Bible ignorance. You've got to study the Word of God. You can't outgrow prayerlessness. You've got to start praying. You can't outgrow sin. You've got to repent of it. Childish things must be put away. So I'm going to talk to you today about some childish things that need to be put away, that we need to put away in order to help our children put them away. So I'm going to compare some childish things compared to uh, how a mature person, a mature believer should be living. Number one, children put themselves first. Mature adults put God first, then family, then themselves Listen, childishness, childishness is synonymous with selfishness. A baby has got to be the center of attention. Everybody else is there to meet their needs. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way God designed babies. They are helpless when they come into this world. But there's something very wrong when those who ought to be mature in their faith think that the whole world should revolve around them, that everything is about them that everybody else exists to meet their needs. It's so important for us to grow up in Christ and to get away from being self-centered and then to become centered uh, uh, in Christ and on others. We've got to learn what, what it means to die to ourselves. Doesn't mean ourself dies. It means we die to ourselves. I die to me. I want this. I want it. I need it. I got to have it now. That's how a child thinks. But we've got to die to that and put others and put the Lord before ourselves. And we've got to be an example to our children in this. Secondly, children want everything now. Mature adults are patient. Not only does a child always think about themselves, they also have a short attention span and an inability to delay gratification. No patience. If you've ever been on a trip in a car with a child and you've heard the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are you there yet? 157 times. I used to drive at night when my kids were little so they would sleep. So I could have some peace while I was driving. Yeah, they'd be back there arguing and bickering. He's looking out my window. <laughs> He's breathing my air. So, what? And I'd see in a rearview mirror, my son would be going, <sighs> like, like, seriously? Childishness. Are we there? No patience. Are we there yet? The child thinks short term. They want what they want and they want it now. Immature Christians can't wait for anything. They keep asking God, are we there yet? God, why am I still here? God, why am I not there yet? God, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? They want what they want and they want it now. And let me tell you, I've been in church my whole life. I've been around people my whole life in church. And I've seen people turn against God because they did not get what they want, when they wanted, how they wanted it. But if we're going to mature in Christ, 
We've got to look beyond the immediate, beyond today, and start thinking long-term, get an eternal perspective, choose to wait on God, learning to wait and trust God with His timetable, learning to persevere, that means go through the severe, learning to wait and be patient and not expect everything to happen now. We've got to teach our children that, but we've got to do it first so that we can teach them how to wait and teach them how to persevere. Listen, sometimes you must intentionally... Tell your children, wait. If you're going to teach them how to wait, you're going to have to make them wait sometime. You should tell your children no sometime about something just to make them learn how to take a no. I'm serious. So many children go through life never having to wait for anything, getting what they want, when they want it, nobody ever telling them no. It's always a great big, yes, sure, have what you want. And they get into the real life and boom, they fall apart because they don't know how to wait and they don't know how to say no to themselves. Who's going to teach them that? You are. Are you? Number three, children put play before work. Mature adults put work before play. And when I say mature, I'm talking about a behavior. I'm not talking about age because there's 30, 40-year-old men sitting in their parents' basements playing video games all day. Children spend most of their life playing and have to work occasionally. But when you become an adult, you spend most of your life working. And you get to play occasionally. Children think work is bad. Grown adults know work is good. They know when God created everything, he called it good. And one of those things he created was work. Work was not a result of the fall. So many people think that. That wasn't, God created the Bible. Go read your Bible in Genesis. He created man. It says he put him in the garden to work it. Before sin ever got there. God created you to work. God created you to work. Can you say work is good? Man, you'd be out of a job a few months. You know how good work is. You're complaining about your job every day, and one day they lay you off. All of a sudden, that job looked really good. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, Make it your ambition. Boy, you should live by this verse. You should write this, put it on your fridge, and read this every day. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. This is Bible. I love it. And to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent on anybody. Parents, children need to work at, learn to work at home. You raise up your kid 18, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, they don't know how to go out and get a job and work. Come on, you got to start that kid working young. I'm not talking slave labor, but there there are age-appropriate tasks and responsibilities. For instance, when our kids were young, we taught them that cleaning up was part of play. You get the toys out, you play with the toys, you put the toys back. Those are the three steps in playing. They always want to skip step three. But no, they've got to learn as a child. Hey, you've got to put that stuff back and put it back in its right place. Age age appropriate. When I was growing up, as I grew up, I had more and more chores to do. Make your bed. They had to teach me how to do that. Clean up your room. Here's what a clean room looks like. No, that's not it. See that right there? That's called dirt. Sweep that up. They teach you got to wash these dishes. 
We were the dishwashers. There was no automatic dishwashers back then. Mow the yard. Man, I just had this memory. I just had this memory. When I started working in the yard with my dad, they didn't, we, we had, you remember, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. There's, I should have got a picture of it. I just thought of it, though. There's these old mowers. They were not, had no motor, but they, had, they went like this. You know, you can see them on a golf course. They had, they had blades that you had to push. We had that. An edger was this thing. He went like this on the edge. I mean, this little contraption. And there was no weed eater. And my job, my first job in mowing yard, they had these little garden shears. And you got down on your knees next to the house and... Yes, you did. And you, you cut the tall grass next to the house because the mower's not going to get up there on your hands and knees. That's, that was my first job. Boy, get down there and, and use these things, and here's how you do it. Here's what it looks like. I got more and more responsibilities. I'll never forget. I was a junior in high school. I came home from school one day, and my dad said, boy, I got you a job. <laughs> I had no options in this. <laughs> I didn't say, I ain't looking for no job. He would have knocked me in the next week. I would not have done that. I got you a job. I'm like, okay, where is it? Well, down at S.S. Kresge's. Most of y'all don't know what S.S. Kresge is, unless you're from Michigan or something. Kresge is the the, uh, parent company of Kmart. Y'all don't even know what Kmarts are because they left Texas years ago. But it's a big store, kind of like Walmart. But they started out with these, what we called back then, five and dime stores, uh, with a little store with a soda fountain up front, and they, they sold stuff cheap. And I was a stock boy. I, I'd go after school and all day Saturday and, and clean up, clean up after everybody sweep and uh, carry stuff up and down into the basement. And, it, and that, that was my job. And I didn't have an option. When I got paid, they paid me in cash money in this brown envelope that you could open up and it'd have your deductions over here. By the way, I was making minimum wage at the time $1.65 an hour. $1.65. And I, when I got paid, I would hand that envelope to my mother. Not of my choice. This is what I was told to do. <laughs> Listen to me. And she gave me back, out of the money I earned, what I could keep. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) The rest of it went to help the family. My children were older than my children were older than me. Yeah, this was a miracle. My children were older than me. (laughs) My two sisters are older than me. They got jobs after high school, and they had to help pay. They, they, it was to help the family. We didn't have a lot of money. We all had to work together to make ends meet. I was being taught from an early age to work and to take responsibility for my family. If you don't teach your children to work, you do them a huge disservice. We're living in a culture right now where it's hard to find people who want to work. Training your children to work also means there must be consequences for not working. Listen to this, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. (laughs) Bible, New Testament, read it. We hear that some among you are idle. That means they're lazy, they're doing nothing. 
You're not busy. They're busybodies. Such people we command. We command in the name of the Lord Jesus, settle down and earn the bread they eat. Could you imagine me going up to somebody today and say, I command you in the name of Jesus, get up off of your rear end and get a job in Jesus' name. That'd be the last time I ever saw him. I had to do this when my son was a teenager. I'm not talking about little kids now, okay? I'm not talking about little kids. He was a grown boy, grown up, teenager. And he one day told us, because we had always had our, we taught our children to work, taught them to work, and had chores to do at home. And one day he informed us he was no longer going to do any chores. Now, as you'll learn here in a minute, we spanked our children when they were young. Oh, I know, it's a tough thing, but, but we did it. And, uh, but he was getting at an age where, you know, you have to think of some other stuff too, you know. And I said, okay, and this Bible thing came to me. I said, that's all right. I didn't even argue with him. But the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So if you refuse to work, you cannot eat with this family. Now, I'm not going to let you go hungry or starve. There's food in here. You can fix yourself a bologna sandwich or something. But whatever your mom cooks, she cooked back then. Whatever your mom cooks. <laughs> I'm not looking at her. She cooks. She, she cooks. She cooks. She does cook. She cooks more. In fact, she's cooking a big meal for us today and tomorrow, so she does cook. But she went through a period there where she needed a sabbatical from cooking. <laughs> but I told her, you, you, can, you can't eat with the, what, what mom cooks. And when we, when we sit down with the family, sorry, you just go make your own sandwich and do your own thing. You know how many meals you miss? One. And then he learned... I'm going to do my chores around this house. He learned. And our children, our, both our children are very successful to this day because they are very hard workers because we taught them to work. Fourth, children rebel against authority. Mature adults submit to authority. One of the first things a child learns is to say no. Eat your vegetables, no. Go to bed, no. Pick up your toys, no. And as a parent, we've got to be the one to learn to do that, to help them with that. Because rebellion is in the heart of a child, and it, it, it's, diff, it's a difficult trait to deal with. Uh, and, and to grow up, even us as adults, we've got to stop stubbornly saying no to God. And we've got to help our, mature, our, our children mature by training them to, to submit to the authority of God. And that involves discipline. The word disciple and discipline have the same root. Discipleship always involves discipline. If we don't, listen, if we don't discipline our children, there will come a time when they will be disciplined by somebody or by God. And we discipline when we, we, we disciple them by establishing age-appropriate standards and boundaries, and we discipline them by giving them consequences, age-appropriate consequences, for not obeying the standards. Listen, some parents think they're supposed to protect their child from any consequence of bad behavior. I'll tell you right now, and I'll tell you from experience, that does not work. That does not work. A child needs to learn early when it's dealing with small stuff that there's consequences to bad behavior. 
That's why Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it from him, far from him. Now, I told you, I grew up, I grew up in the age of spanking. They spanked me at home. They gave you spots at school, public school. Some of y'all remember that thing. That te- they had that long board with drills, hole drills in it, man. They would, bam, they would. I remember one time in gyms, we were messing around. Jim's coach couldn't figure out who did what was wrong, so he just lined everybody up, got his little thing out, went down the loud. Bam, 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 bam. We didn't go home crying to our mama about that because you know what? We would have got spanked again at home for getting spanked at, at school. Some people think, you know, that discipline is mean, but it's an act of love. Listen to Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod of discipline hates his children. I'm just reading the Bible to you. But he who loves them disciplines them diligently and punishes them early, 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 early. Don't wait. In other words, if your child starts disrespecting you, talking back to you, sassing you, It's much easier to deal with it when they're six than when they're 16. I'm telling you, you got to get a handle on it then. That's why Proverbs 23, 13 says, don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. What's he talking about here? Well, the Kylan Dealers commentary talks about it. It's not about necessarily dying physically, but it could be spiritually, and it could be saving them from an early death because sometimes if a child is not disciplined, they go down a road to destruction. That's why we've got to teach them at home and teach them to honor authority. It starts in the home. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 6. This is New Testament, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might enjoy a long life on the earth. If you want things to go well in your life, honor your parents. If you want to enjoy a long life, honor your parents. And so many young people go on a search to, to see their dreams fulfilled and they run into destruction because they didn't honor their parents. Don't think you can dishonor your parents and be blessed by God. Now, when I was growing up, we had a culture of honor and respect. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We honor parents, teachers, everybody in authority. Now we have this culture full of disrespect, children talking back to parents, students disrespecting their teachers, employees disrespecting their bosses, husbands and wives dishonoring each other in front of their children. Disrespect is rampant in our society, but God commands us to honor those in authority, and authority is meant to work for our good and our blessing, but you only receive that blessing when you honor those in authority. Number five, children live to get. Mature mature adults live to give. Children always talk about wanting and taking and getting, but you got to put that away and start becoming a giver. And then, by the way, when it comes to this, you also got to teach your your children about money. My parents didn't teach me about money. All they ever taught me is don't answer that phone. It might be a bill collector. That's all the only thing they ever taught me. I didn't even know how to write a check when, when I got married. I just learned how to get into debt easily. And we struggled and very much financially until somebody in the church cared enough about us, sat down with us, and taught us how to make a budget. And it changed our lives forever. Are you teaching your children how to handle the money? Uh, the culture teaches them get in debt. Get in debt a lot. And, and only think about monthly payments. Can you make that? And, 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 and they never learn to say no to themselves. Listen, you better tell your no, no to your children. You need to, they need to learn to wait and to actually do something called saving and to 
to, to buy something rather than just keep charging it, charging it, charging it. And they're not going to learn. They're not going to learn to give and tithe unless we teach them. I encourage you to teach them at an early age. If you make a dollar, give 10 cents to God, save 10 cents, and the other 80 cents is yours. Isn't that amazing? You get all the rest of it. And if they do that their whole life on every dollar they make, they will be prosperous in their life. Number six, I'm going to hurry now because I only got a, no minutes left. Uh, <laughs> children are controlled by their emotions. Mature adults control their emotions. Listen, emotions aren't bad. Being controlled by your emotions is a horrible way to live. Most children are ruled by their emotions, and a lot of them pitch fits and, and temper tantrums, and when they don't get their own way, and there's nothing worse than seeing a grown adult throwing a temper tantrum, what we used to call pitching a fit. It's childish. And if you don't control your emotions, they will control you. So we've got to learn how to do that. And, and the opposite extreme is, is wrong too. Some people think, well, I just won't have any emotions, but we've got to find a balance. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, but do not sin. So you can have the emotion and still not sin. Don't use your emotions as an excuse to sin. Children excuse themselves. Well, you made me mad. You made me do it. You did this. That is a childish way of living. If you're blaming everybody else for, your, for what you're doing, it's wrong. You, mature adults take responsibility for their actions. And then lastly, children blame others for their actions. Mature adults take responsibility. We all have a tendency to blame shift. We all want to blame somebody else. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. When God, when God confronted Adam and Eve after they had eaten the forbidden fruit, he, the, the man said, well, the woman you put, put here with me, she gave me some, some, of the fruit, some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord said to the woman, what's this you've done? The woman said, well, that certain serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam blamed Eve, Eden blamed, Eve blamed Satan. The devil made me do it. If you think about it, Adam was actually blaming God. That woman you gave me. Blaming God is the ultimate blame shifting. And to grow spiritually, we've got to take responsibility for our own actions being a man and woman of God does not mean we never fail or we never fall or we never sin. It means we take responsibility. We don't place blame. We don't try to cover it up. We admit our own sin and repent of it. Listen, Proverbs twenty four sixteen says, A righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises again. I don't know how many times you've fallen. I don't know how many times you've messed up. I don't know how many times you've done it, but you can always get back up. Listen, do not let the devil win the battle. Don't let him trip you up and keep you down. Get back up. Don't let him condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Listen, God, Jesus died so that you could have victory. You have victory through the cross. You have victory through the blood of Christ. You have victory through the word of God. And you need to walk in that victory. And you need to train your children how to walk in victory. You need to be an overcomer and train your children how to overcome. Have you taught your children how to pray, how to resist the devil in the name of Jesus? Listen, it's time to start doing it. So stop making excuses and start being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and then disciple your family to do the same in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I hope I helped you today. I hope I helped you in some way. I hope I helped you in some way. What's the Lord saying to you as our prayer team comes down? What, what's the Lord saying to you? Maybe the, one of these areas that I mentioned is it, something that's not working in your life and you need to say, I need to repent of that. I need help with that. I need prayer for that. 
Maybe you need to pray for your family or your children or your health or your finances or a job. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else. Whatever it is that you need, we want to pray with you. See the hand of God move in your life because the power of God is greater than anything else you face. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Have a great Independence Day, great 4th of July. Stay safe. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing one more song and we'll be dismissed. If you need prayer, come on down.